I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith in our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Yeah, it is a big day. That's right. Because in just uh, just a couple of hours here, uh, we're going to pack ourselves up into uh, into the van with the godparents in tow and point ourselves toward the cathedral where we will be met by, uh, by friends, witnesses, family, uh, a seminarian, and, and a bishop, and we're going to get this kid baptized. Uh, he's going to have uh, prayers that are prayed over him. Uh, the, there's going to be this beautiful... Uh, prayer over the water that explains to us the whole of salvation history. Uh, there's going to be anointing with oil. Uh, there's even an exorcism in part of this. If you've never seen the rite of baptism, uh, maybe they don't do it in mass and you have never been to uh, to the Easter Vigil. If you have never seen a baptism in the Catholic Church, you need to find a way uh, sometime in the very near future to go and witness this, uh, this event, because the liturgy is just packed with the gospel, packed with the whole story of our own fallenness and the rescue mission launched by Jesus Christ, where he came and invaded enemy territory by coming into the world, taking on human nature, living a sinless life, and offering himself in expiation for our sins on the cross. This is this is the liturgy, and it's so beautiful. In fact, it's so beautiful, we're going to be talking about it uh, for the whole of today. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit later in this show with Father Andrew Strobel. He's a pastor of St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. Uh, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the theology of of baptism. And we've got an extra segment that we also are going to—I'm going to make it available to everyone this week. I'm going to put it on social media uh, facebook.com uh, slash step outside the walls, Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. I want you to hear all that father has to say to us. Well, I had the pleasure of talking with him uh, a couple of days ago. And so we have pre-recorded that. We're going to play that for you here just in a little bit. And, and we're going to make that extra segment available to everyone, because I think that what he has to tell us today is just so important uh, for us to, to view baptism in its fullness, the graces that, that are given to us in baptism, and not merely as this thing where we get together and we, uh, you know, the baby's born, and so, yay, we dress the baby in white and dunk the baby's head and, and put some pretty smelling oil on it so we can have a, a, a little bit of a celebration. There is so much to baptism that is beyond uh, just the event, right? There are things that go on in, in the spiritual realms that God accomplishes through this ordinary creature of water. And we, the, the, old, the older rites call it your creature water because it is a creation, right? Even though it is not a living thing in and of itself. So we're going to be talking about baptism today. And I tell you, every time I go to a baptism, it, it strikes me uh, just a little bit in terms of, oh, am I living up to my baptismal promises? Now, I was too young to make those baptismal promises for myself. I didn't understand uh, enough to be able to say 
the answers to these questions that someone vouched for me. My parents brought me to uh, to the baptismal font and and gave me new life in the church through baptism. But I have made those baptismal promises when I came into the church, right? When I came into full communion with the Catholic Church, and also for each of my children who have been baptized, I have said those things. Uh, do you renounce Satan? I do. And, and all his empty works, I do. And so I hear that again as the godparents and parents say this uh, at baptisms I attend, when I have to say it, when I uh, am presenting my own children to baptism. And really for a, a few days, few weeks, uh, maybe even a little bit longer, it, man, I, I really have to self-evaluate. Am I living the Christian life as I made the promise in these, uh, these baptismal promises? Am I living up to my end of the deal? Do I really see my own sin as the, the empty works, the empty promises of Satan, right? Do I reject Satan? Do I turn my back entirely on those things that are my, my friendly temptations? You know the ones, the ones that keep coming around and, and you go to confession for them, but maybe you're not bothered by them all that much. It's like, oh, well, I did that again. I need to go back to confession. Are we bothered by our sin? And I, I tell you, when I go to a baptism, uh, I get a little bit more bothered by my sin. I, I, I see it a little bit more clearly. And so uh, here we are. Uh, we're going to go and, and get this kid baptized. There's going to be a, we're, we're going to ask for the intercession of the saints. We're going to, there's a litany involved in that. Uh, and this kid has a litany in his name just by, without, without invoking anyone, but his namesakes, uh, he's got a pretty good litany going on. Uh, it's, uh, Jude Francis Alphonsus Martin, because, um, no one should be without, without a bevy of saints to accompany them, uh, in their daily life. So as we have, uh, prepared for this baptism, we're trying to do it as early as possible. Uh, actually, in canon law, we are obliged as Christian parents to, to get our children baptized as quickly as possible. Uh, canon law stipulates within the first few weeks, if possible, because it's so important what we believe about baptism that, that we don't want to deprive our child of the graces of the sacrament any longer than necessary. In fact, if, you, uh, if you've not had any children and you're, you're looking at the potential of having to baptize a child later, you, you know when that child's coming, approximately. And so it's never too late to begin approaching the church to say, what do I need to do? What do I need to have uh, in terms of is there any uh, sacramental preparation that I or the godparents need to go through? Is there, uh, is there anything that I need to be aware of ahead of time so that when the baby is born, all of those uh, extra hoops are already covered so that the child can be presented uh, as quickly as possible uh, to, to the church? Now, in, in uh, let's see, in Colossians, uh, Colossians 2, Paul talks about baptism, and he equates baptism with circumcision. And you, you know that in the, in the Jewish tradition, circumcision happened, occurred on the eighth day after birth, that there was something about that identity of the child tied up in, in that act. Well, for us, that is 
according to St. Paul in the book of Colossians, for us that act is baptism. It's that act of baptism that that brings that child into the community and births them into the kingdom of God and bestows on them their identity. Pope Francis recently brought this up in, in an audience, in a general audience, encouraging all of us to learn our baptismal date. Now, back at the beginning of his pontificate, he said this. He said, it's important to know the day on which I was immersed in that current of Jesus' salvation, and I will allow myself to give you some advice, but more than advice, a task for today. Today at home, go look, ask about the date of your baptism, and that way you will keep in mind that most beautiful day of baptism. To know the date of our baptism is to know a blessed day. The danger of not knowing is that we can lose awareness of what the Lord has done in us, the memory of the gift we have received. Thus, we end up considering it only as an event that took place in the past, and not by our own will, but by that of our parents, and that it has no impact on the present. We must reawaken the memory of our baptism. We are called to live out our baptism every day as the present reality of our lives. If we manage to follow Jesus and to remain in the church despite our limitations and with our weaknesses and our sins, it is precisely in the sacrament whereby we have become new creatures and have been clothed in Christ. Early on in our life as Catholics, we were baptizing our son, he, our third child, and the priest who brought us into the church was now baptizing him just a few weeks after we were confirmed. And he shared with us this anecdote of a, of a priest who he knew who said it's so important to know your baptismal day. He said you should even celebrate your baptismal day more than your birthday. He said, uh, any pig has a birthday. And this is the voice he used. Uh, but only a Christian has a baptismal day. <laughs> and so yeah, all living things have a day of their birth. Uh, but we who have been raised with Christ, who have been brought into life in Christ, uh, we have something even greater. We have that day uh, where we were made new creatures. We have that day of, uh, of transformation whereby God brought us into his family. We were adopted as sons. We were made, uh, we were made his children, the children of God, in a very real way through the graces of the sacrament of baptism. So I encourage you, if you haven't yet done it, go find out your baptismal day and that of your spouse and that of your children and put it on the calendar just like you would birthdays and find some way to celebrate, whether that be angel food cake or, or some other little bit of celebration where you call attention, maybe even re, uh, re-upping those baptismal promises, revisiting them so that they can be ever in your mind. When we come back, we're going to be continuing this conversation on baptism with Father Andrew Strobel. He's a pastor of a brand new parish, St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. In the meantime, why don't you go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And talk to me about your baptismal day or, or a day that you baptized one of your children. Talk to me about what you experienced through that rite. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And as I said earlier today, we are going to be talking about baptism. Of course, my my youngest is getting baptized later today. We're just super stoked. This is our seventh uh, child. And uh, let's see, our... our uh, fifth, being baptized in the Catholic Church. Two were baptized before we became Catholic. Uh, we're talking today with Father Andrew Strobel. He's the pastor of St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. Father, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Timothy. So I wanted to bring you on and talk about baptism as I'm getting ready to have this, this momentous occasion uh, in our own life as a family. Because when I was a, a a Protestant, before we became Catholic, we all did baptism. I was baptized as an infant. My wife was baptized as a young child, but it had a, a very different theology behind it. We looked at it more as mm-hmm. uh, the outward sign of an inward grace, right? That there was something mm-hmm. that we were making the declaration, but that it was signi- uh, signifying something that had already occurred. Whereas as Catholic theology, we're, we believe that baptism is actually the mechanism by which God brings us into his family. Yes, most definitely. So let's talk about that. Unpack this a little bit. What is, where do we get this idea that God uses water? Uh, and uh, really in that, talk a little bit about the place of the, the physicality of the sacraments. Oh, sure. You know, I think that's a beautiful place to start um, in that God is so good to us. He uh, he He definitely... Uh, empties himself uh, to work on our level in so many ways. And that happens a lot in the sacraments. So the use of water in baptism is no, um, you know, mistake. <laughs> it works out in so many ways. Um, in fact, when we see water, of course, I mean, just some of the things we think about uh, when we think of water is that it, we need it to live. Mm-hmm. You know, with no water, we die. Um, you think about water too, it's used to cleanse. It's used uh, to nourish. Um and so when we, we talk about water and baptism, um, we see how the Lord throughout our history as his people has, you know, prepared his people uh, through water. I mean, that's actually right in the, in the right, the prayers of bapti- the rite of baptism itself that you're going to be hearing about uh, at the baptism of your child later on today. So the priest is going to um, pray over the water that's going to be used, and he's going to go through the whole history of salvation, how God has prepared his people through water um, from the very beginning, breathing over uh, the waters of creation, um, going and talking about Noah and the, the flood um, and how that kind of prefigured baptism and that God was cleansing the earth, um, but allowing new life to come from it. Uh, the prefiguring of baptism also uh, that we see when God liberated his people uh, from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, that that's right in the blessing of the water of baptism uh, that you're going to hear later today for your child. So, I mean, God used water um, as this beautiful way of always saving his people. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we come to Jesus Christ at the Jordan River, and John, who is doing a different type of baptism, just simply a baptism of repentance, then encounters Jesus Christ at the Jordan, and Jesus submits to this baptism now to change the water forever. So it's not that Jesus Christ, of course, needed baptism. He didn't. He's totally sinless. It's his life we actually receive in baptism, right? We're receiving from him. But he changed the water. So now that all water that we have access to has this beautiful ability to carry with it this new life in the sacrament to basically unite us to Jesus Christ. 
I love this this picture, uh, first of all, of Christ being that which sanctifies the waters. Now, it's holy yeah. water because Christ was baptized. But mm-hmm. you mentioned at the very beginning that we have this picture of water from the very beginning of Scripture, that the, the Spirit mm-hmm. hovered over the deep, right? And so mm-hmm. here in that first act of creation, God used water as the agent in some way. And so now... Christ says, behold, I, I make all things new. And, and we see mm-hmm. in Corinthians where it says, um, uh, we are now new creations uh, as Christians. Here again, we see God using in that act of creation, we see God using water. Yeah, it, it is tremis- uh, terrific how, uh, how God's always prepared us to encounter Jesus Christ. And now that we uh, have encountered him in history and we get to come to him in the beautiful mysteries of the sacraments, um, that all of that's opened up. I mean, it all connects, and uh, and God is so good. And I think every time a child is baptized or we see an adult baptized, it's an opportunity for everyone to reflect on that, that this isn't just something that we could take or leave. Like, this is truly necessary, that God has prepared from the beginning of time uh, our encounter with Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. You know, I, I recall shortly after my wife and I came to the church, we're, we're sitting uh, and actually visiting a, a Protestant church where we had some some friends uh, that attended. And they're reading the scripture that day. And the, the scripture happened to be in Titus, uh, Titus 3. And it talks about that we're justified by the, the bath of rebirth. And my wife and I yes. just kind of look at one another and say, how? We, we've spent our whole life looking at scriptures. How did we miss this? that it talks about this bath of rebirth. And then, you know, in, in Acts 2, we hear, uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, in, of course, the one that everyone loves to quote is 1 Peter 3, uh, where it talks about mm. baptism now saves you not as a washing of dirt from the body, uh, but of creating a clear conscience. And, and over and over, we see these nuances pointing in Scripture to the fact that baptism actually... Uh, is what puts us back in union with God through the work that Christ did on the cross. Oh, definitely. You know, St. Paul has uh, that beautiful understanding that it's the waters of baptism that actually, as the Catechism says, bring us into communion with Jesus's death. I mean, this is where we actually um, become one with him. And he, he became one with us, of course, so that we could have this new life. But the new life uh, that we get to receive is because we die first with Jesus Christ. And that's emphasized in the prayers. And it's em- emphasized in two, uh, the history we've had an experience with baptism, like where I just hired someone new at the parish who uh, himself um, is a convert to the Catholic faith. You know, he grew up as a missionary actually in Hong Kong um, <laughs> with, a, with the Assemblies of God. And he just, he loves baptism so much. And he loves, you know, the history where we used to stand on the animal skins, the very pelts of animals, and, and renounce the evil one. Um, because, you know, that's what Adam and Eve then had to clothe themselves in when they lost their original innocence right. and original sin in the fall. And now there's this new hope that Jesus Christ brings. But it's not, yeah, it's not just um, just a nice little event. It changes everything. And like you're saying, this is the moment of justification. Um, the Council of Trent, uh, as the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually points out, you know, says just, justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man, meaning when we're baptized, of course, our sin is washed away. But also now 
we are sanctified too. We have this new life in us because of the grace of God, the sanctifying grace. Um, and so it truly is this most incredible moment where we become one with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you talked about Paul talking that brings us into communion, but this puts that language that he brings up over and over that I have, that we are, are we not baptized into his death? We see in Romans 8, or he talks about in Galatians yeah. that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Coming back again mm-hmm. to that whole idea of we become new creations through our baptism. Yes. So, oh, it, yeah. So I want to talk just a little bit. Every week we come into Mass, and, and generally there is a, a holy water font right by the door that we enter. And mm-hmm. we talk about we dip our hand in the water and we make the sign of the cross. And, and that's so that we, quote, remember our baptism. Uh, and, and a lot of people may not understand the way that we use the term remember there, because obviously if you were baptized as an infant, you don't have a... Uh, a memory of it. Talk a little bit about uh-huh. what this means for us as as Catholics, as Christians, to continually remember our baptism. No, that's a great point, because um, the experience um, is, is different depending on whether you were baptized uh, before, you know, the age of reason as a little child, or whether you were baptized as an adult. But either way, that memory isn't just meaning, remember, you know, the day you were baptized and the great part of your family had, and, you know, who showed up. It's just, it's it, it's this participation in it's a it's that beautiful understanding of memory as like um this is you know the defining um memory the defining moment of your existence you know it's this it's this understanding that we don't dare approach the altar of god just on our own we come before god united with jesus christ we come before god with confidence in ourselves being made a new creation and that's so important because that memory is 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 like you would try to you know say you know remember that you are created you know by god you have a creator well as we hear in sacred scripture that it's just as significant that moment of baptism as the moment we were created like so we had a beginning point but no ending point and that life in christ doesn't go away so like it's kind of like you know when we try to understand love within the family and it's not enough just to show love one time right? and just say, Oh, remember we showed love back then. Remember I said, I love you, honey. You know, or <laughs> I said, I love you to the kids or I showed you love. No, we participate in that defining love all the time. In some ways it's more of a call to mind the fact that you were baptized yes. and think on that and meditate on that and let that inform the way that you participate in the mass and inform the way that you live your lives as a people who have been justified and brought in yeah. to relationship again with Jesus Christ. Well, today we're talking with Father Andrew Strobel. He's the pastor of St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. We're talking about baptism, about the theology of baptism, and uh, about what it means that you have been baptized and you have sought baptism for your children. Uh, why don't you join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I'm going to spend this week posting on baptism, on sections from the right of baptism, on articles about baptism. It's a conversation you're going to want to be a part of. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on our daily lives. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we're talking with Father Andrew Strobel, pastor of St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. Uh, it's a it's a brand new parish. Uh, you're coming up on the first anniversary. It was founded September or established, I guess, September first of 2016. So happy birthday, almost. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a such an adventure. God is so good. Um, you know, to really see the fruit of the gospel being proclaimed and hearts being set on fire by the Holy Spirit, and uh, just the vibrancy of the Catholic Church to then have a new parish established, um, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. And then I know there's parts of the United States and all around the world, of course, of course, with a different experience mm-hmm. uh, of just common parish life where, you know, we're talking about closing parishes and consolidation and how are we going to get by. But uh, yeah, it's just been quite the experience to open a new parish. Well, there's something about the newness and and just really almost the electricity in the air that I'm sure uh, creates not only uh and evangelical people who are very excited, mm-hmm. but but probably a level of uh, uh, personal devotion as well. Oh, most definitely. You know, whenever you do something new, um, you have the opportunity to ask, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's the opportunity you have as your family is baptizing another child. Why do we do this? As a new parish, we ask the same thing, and it really has given us an opportunity to not just take for granted gathering together for the sacred liturgy, um, you know, coming together and encouraging one another in the faith and service to our neighbor, and especially the witness in our homes. Um, when you don't have facilities that you actually own. So we have 20 acres of soybean field and the rectory. That's it. Um, <laughs> you can't take for granted, you know, uh, so much, but we really get a focus on the domestic church because I like to say, you know, we have way more than we don't have. Um, and all of our families, that have made that commitment to, to live for Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and have that privilege to be the first teachers of their children in the ways of faith. That's really exciting right now to be able to um, appreciate that in a whole new way, you know, because we get a focus there and it's not like, you know, we're missing out. And you served for a little while as the director of evangelization there for the diocese, uh, archdiocese of Kansas city. And I, I think it shows, uh, you know, your, the tagline on your website uh, shows a very definite outward focus. And it's, uh, I love this little line. It says, we share your longing for more. Uh, you're expecting that the people who are coming to your website are not going to be the insiders. Yeah, that's the assumption we're trying to make is, uh, you know, we want someone to be able to um, either, whether it's meeting us online or in person, um, to know that we're there for them. And uh, we really do care about their relationship with God, the deepest desires of their hearts, and, uh, and, and whether or not they, um, you know, are taking Jesus Christ seriously. And uh, we, we were so blessed to then be named St. John Paul II, because he used to go around telling people, be more, be more. And in Redemptoris Missio, one of his encyclicals, The Mission or the Redeemer, he said the church has the opportunity to offer the world um, the opportunity not to have more but to be more. And that just really clicked with us um, and what we're trying to do as, as, you know, a parish getting on its feet. But uh, God has really blessed it. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of excitement. We're talking today with Father Andrew Strobel, and we're talking about baptism, which is that very first step into being more. It's submitting ourselves mm-hmm. to being recreated. Uh, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, this this notion of baptism because I think it was saying that I think it was Saint Augustine who said that baptism for, uh, removes the guilt of of all sin, uh, and so you have this picture of us, uh, whether you're an adult or an infant, coming and presenting yourself uh, for baptism. Uh, is that moment of having everything in the old person washed away, wiped clean, and now this this new creation being formed. So let's talk, we can, we can picture that really easily when you see the, uh, the 25 or the 35-year-old person coming to getting b- baptized. We're like, oh yeah, you've got a lot of baggage there. But when you've got the week old that we have, and you look at them and you're like, well, what baggage do you have that you need to get baptized away? Talk a little bit about uh, why we baptize at the very earliest point possible. It's not, as you're mentioning, you know, because your weak old child has personal culpability for sin at this point in some way, right? Um, it's because we're born with um, uh, original sin. We, we still have the consequences of the original um, decision of our parents to reject God in the garden. And we have to remember that that decision of Adam and Eve affected everything. It shook creation. Um it wasn't just, you know, the breaking of a rule, because I think sometimes we just think about that when we think about sin, unfortunately, it's like, oh, well, it's just kind of the breaking of a rule. We missed the mark. And well, I do that in a lot of ways. We have to remember what sin is. It's the rejection of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And God is our father. And Adam and Eve, instead of obeying their father, rejected that relationship. And we've all suffered from it. Um, and so when we were born, yes, we uh, are, are wonderful. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We have this incredible capacity for uh, for life, but we're fallen, <laughs> and we see the effects of that all the time. We have what's called concupiscence, this, this um, now uh, basically disposition towards sin, towards uh, that which is not good for us. Our intellect, the ability to recognize truth, beauty, and goodness, our will to desire that has been twisted up, and we need to be restored and, and participate in the salvation of Jesus Christ, one for us by Jesus Christ. And that's where baptism comes in. It's not just for those personal sins, although if we have personal sins, so we're baptized later on in life after the age of reason, it, all of those are cleansed as well. But it addresses that state of being an original sin apart from God. And actually, the ritual of baptism recognizes that, like the dangers of being apart from God, meaning we're more vulnerable to the evil one, to the devil. And that's why we have an exorcism before we baptize the child. And that's why we have exorcism even for catechumens of adults. Just like uh, DNA is passed from one generation to the next, we have this nature that's passed from one generation to the next that is separated from God and, and just needs to be recreated, reborn. And so baptism is what does that. Now, in the Protestant church where I grew up in, we have this doctrine of original sin, but we in our understanding of what original sin was back then, uh, we tied in both what the, the Catholic Church teaches as original sin and concupiscence all in one thing. And so f- for our minds, hearing that, oh, yeah, original sin is washed away, uh, we look and say, well, no, it's not, because look, that kid is still predisposed to sin. Mm. And so mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church, we have a little bit different perspective that we we are, uh, the debt of original sin is now paid, but now we still have to walk towards sanctification. Yes, most definitely. And that's, you know, it makes sense if we understand 
um, you know, when we look at sin, it affects many different relationships. It affects our relationship with God, but it also reflects our, uh, affects our relationship with one another. Um, and it affects, you know, how we understand ourselves and our relationship with the world. So when we talk um, about washing away original sin, we become a new creation. We now are a child of God. We're made one with Jesus Christ. We take on his identity. So our relationship with the Father is now restored. It's, it's, it's the way we're supposed to be as one with Jesus Christ as a child of God. However, the effects still of original sin in terms of our relationship with one another and the world and how we understand ourselves is still fallen. And that takes, you know, a, a tremendous amount of grace and a lifetime of growing in virtue um, and possibly purification after death to work out um, than totally turning back uh, in every way possible um, through that subjective aspect of our uh, of our existence, you know, in every way. We're talking today with Father Andrew Strobel. And in your time in the priesthood, Father, mm-hmm. as you've had the opportunity to administer the sacrament of baptism, which baptism is one of those sacraments that while it is properly done by uh, the bishop or the priest, uh, in certain circumstances can be done by a layperson in, in, in grave circumstances. Uh, that's not true of all the sacraments. Uh, b- but yeah. baptism is also a sacrament that leaves an indelible mark. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and there's only a couple of the sacraments that do that. Talk about how the character of baptism is unique in that way uh, to the other sacraments. Yeah, the character of baptism in that way with the indelible mark um, it is so special because you're right. Only baptism, confirmation, and holy orders leave an indelible mark, meaning a mark that's not going to go away. Um, we'll recognize it on our souls. And one way I heard it put that was very striking for me is you'll be able to tell in heaven, but also in hell, who has those indelible marks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't go away. It changes us forever. And it's emphasized in the rite of baptism, um, those marks, you know, St. Paul says we uh, are to put on Jesus Christ. So we have that white garment in baptism. Mm-hmm. But then we see that white garment again at our funeral when the white pall covers the casket. We have the paschal candle lit at baptism that's first only lit at the Easter vigil for the conquering of the darkness of sin and death by Jesus Christ in his cross and resurrection. Well, we receive the new life from Christ in baptism mm-hmm. that he won for us in the cross and resurrection. But then again, that Paschal candle not only lit at Easter and at our baptism is lit again at our funeral because that new life in Christ doesn't go away. Um, That identity in him changes everything, Yeah, everything. And uh, I I just love to the catechism. I'm going to misquote, which I shouldn't do to the catechism, but basically like who's eligible for baptism? Everyone who's not baptized. Like you mentioned, (laughs) like who can do baptism in case of an emergency could be anybody. Well, it's because of, of its necessity and who has access to it. Well, anyone who's not baptized, um, it, it is tremendous to think about. We're talking today with Father Andrew Strobel, pastor of the new parish, St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. We've been talking about the sacrament of baptism as my wife and I are preparing later today to take our youngest son and present him to the church to be born, adopted into this new church, into new life in Christ. Join the conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and the implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today, we're talking about the sacrament of baptism. We've been speaking with Father Andrew Strobel. He's the pastor of St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas. It's a parish that's just under a year old, a brand new parish. Uh, and we've been talking about, about baptism. If you missed any part of this conversation or if you want to share it with someone else, good news, it's going to be archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Just click that episode archive section. I also had the opportunity to continue this conversation with, uh, with Father just a little bit longer than we are able to air here today. And normally that, that extra content is reserved for our uh, patrons over at patreon.com. Of course, you can get to that link over at outsidethewalls.com. There's a little link to become a patron or a Patreon account. And normally for, for as little as $5 a month each week, you get an extra segment that we don't broadcast where we have continuing conversation with our guest. Uh, but this week, the conversation was so salient and I think so important that I'm going to make that available to you, uh, regardless of whether you are a supporter or not. Now, it's very easy to become a supporter. For as little as $2 a month, you get extra content of various kinds. Uh, and you can get to that by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link and, and look at all of the, the extra content that's available to you at the various price points. Uh, there's even some stuff there that even if you're not a supporter, you can, you can listen to, you can look at. Uh, and so I encourage you, uh, you'll find it over on social media, a link to it. And then you can also find it on our, on our main page, OutsideTheWalls.com. Go take a look at that this week. It's going to be worth your time, uh, specifically for that extra content on today as we continue that conversation about baptism with Father Andrew Strobel. Now, uh, today we're going to spend a little bit of time in readings from Scripture and from church history. And while they are not directly associated with the sacrament of baptism, uh, we're going to tie them in. I think we're going to do a pretty good job of it. So we're going to look first, uh, we're going to go back to Tuesday, the Feast of St. Dominic, uh, and we're going to look at the responsorial psalm for that day. And we, we hear this. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Now think about this in light of baptism. That baptism is that which justifies us and gives us new life. Think about all of these readings in that context. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sin cleanse me. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. For I acknowledge my offense, and my sin is before me always. Against you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. That you may be justified in your sentence, vindicated when you condemn, indeed, in guilt was I born, and in sin my mother conceived me. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not off from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. And this is the whole point of baptism. It's God's answer to, to David, the psalmist. It's God, God's answer to him saying, yes, I will be merciful. 
I will be merciful and forgive you of your sin and of the guilt of sin that you bear. And, and so here we are, God answers, and in baptism creates a steadfast spirit, creates a clean heart, and places his Holy Spirit in us. This is the, the amazing, unfathomable truth of baptism, that we receive the grace of God and are justified and brought into right relationship with God through these physical elements, through the water and through uh, the, the prayers, that we are made one again with Christ as we're baptized in obedience to Christ's command in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Today's reading from Church History, we're going to jump forward a little bit to the 14th of August, a couple of days from now, and we're going to look at St. Maximilian Kolbe. And uh, this is just a beautiful, beautiful letter. He's my patron saint, my confirmation saint. Uh, and and so and we'll have to talk about that one day because uh, I wanted to pick a nice, safe saint from the Bible because I was Protestant and and uh, instead <laughs> I was pursued and uh, and Saint Maximilian Kolbe, a Franciscan priest from World War II, ended up being my my confirmation saint. But let's hear this this beautiful letter that he wrote. The burning zeal for God's glory that motivates you fills my heart with joy. It is sad for us to see in our own time that indifferentism in its many forms is spreading like an epidemic, not only among the laity, but also among religious. But God is worthy of glory beyond measure, and therefore it is of absolute and supreme importance to seek that glory with all the power of our feeble resources. Since we are mere creatures, we can never return to him all that is his due." The most resplendent manifestation of God's glory is the salvation of souls, whom Christ redeemed by shedding his blood. To work for the salvation and sanctification of as many souls as possible, therefore, is the preeminent purpose of the apostolic life. Let me, then, say a few words that may show the way toward achieving God's glory and the sanctification of many souls. God, who is all-knowing and all-wise, knows best what we should do to increase His glory. Through His representatives on earth, He continually reveals His will to us. Thus, it is obedience, and obedience alone, that is the sure sign to us of the divine will. A superior may, it is true, make a mistake, but it is impossible for us to be mistaken in obeying a superior's command. The only exception to this rule is the case of a superior commanding something that even in the slightest way would contravene God's law. Such a superior would not be conveying God's will. And to be clear, as he's talking about superiors here, he's talking about a religious superior. Uh, The same could be said to you of listening to your bishop or hearing the words of your priest with docility uh, that we see in the Catechism chapter, uh, paragraph uh, 87. Continuing, he says, God alone is infinitely wise, holy, merciful, our Lord, creator and father. He is the beginning and end, wisdom and power and love. He is all. Everything other than God has value to the degree that it is referred to him, the maker of all and our own redeemer, the final end of all things. It is he who, declaring his adorable will to us through his representatives on earth, draws us to himself and whose plan it is to draw others to himself through us. 
and to join us all to himself in an ever-deepening love. Look then at the high dignity that by God's mercy belongs to our state in life. Obedience raises us beyond the limits of our littleness and puts us in harmony with God's will. In boundless wisdom and care, his will guides us to act rightly. Holding fast to that will, which no creature can thwart, we are filled with unsurpassable strength. Obedience is the one and only way of wisdom and prudence for us to offer glory to God. If there were another, Christ certainly would have shown it to us by his word and example. Scripture, however, summed up his entire life at Nazareth in the words, He was subject to them. Scripture set obedience as the theme of the rest of his life, repeatedly declaring that he came into the world to do his Father's will. Let us love our loving Father with all our hearts. Let our obedience increase that love. Above all, when it requires us to surrender our own will, Jesus Christ crucified is our sublime guide toward growth in God's love. We will learn this lesson more quickly through the Immaculate Virgin, whom God has made the dispenser of his mercy. It is beyond all doubt that Mary's will represents to us the will of God himself. By dedicating ourselves to her, we become in her hands instruments of God's mercy, even as she was such an instrument in God's hands. We should let ourselves be guided and led by Mary and rest quiet and secure in her hands. She will watch out for us, provide for us, answer our needs of body and spirit. She will dissolve all our difficulties and worries. That reading comes from St. Maximilian Kolbe. That's a letter that he wrote there. And what, what a theme this has been, honestly, for my life. And what a theme this is for us as we recall our baptismal promises, that promises to reject Satan and all his empty works and all his empty promises. As we look and see those things that generally draw our attention away from God, we call to mind St. Maximilian's call to holiness, to obedience. Uh, So here in baptism, we have the moment where we have been justified. It's that first moment where we are put back into relationship with God. But then the rest of our lives are living out that promise, living out those promises we made at baptism through sanctification, through that obedience, becoming more and more like Christ, joining ourselves more and more to him and walking in holiness. So this week we've been talking about remember your baptism. Take the time, go find out the date of your baptism, and remember what God did for you in baptism. Next week, we're going to be talking about Remember Your Death, Memento Mori. Uh, We're going to be talking with our friend, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. Uh, She's been thinking about that a lot, even got a little ceramic skull for her desk. We're going to talk about sanctification next week, how being mindful of our end can draw us deeper into relationship with God. Today's show is brought to you by the generous contributions of Sam and Angela Jennings and all of our other patrons. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click on that Patreon link and see how you can become a supporter and get cool stuff in the process. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.